Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Senior Pastor Matt Homeyer. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. Uh, Let me pray for us here as we get going. We do want to remember our uh, preteens, our fourth, fifth, and sixth graders, and the sponsors and Debbie that will go, and staff that will be going with them this week. There'll be 35 or so total between students and adults and kids and everything up at uh, Mo Ranch and Kerrville, and so be in prayer for them throughout the week. I am gonna go up Tuesday and spend a day. I hear there are some surprises. My wife is going as a sponsor and refuses to tell me what the surprises are, so we'll, uh, we'll see. I don't know. They're not going to shave my head. That's kind of the typical thing, and that's already done, so I don't know what they can do. We'll see. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the gift and the privilege of worship. We thank you the gift of the fellowship of the family of the koinonia, the church gathered here today for the affections and the bonds and the love that is shared among the body of Christ, we are thankful. We pray for our students this week, our preteens, as they launch out into camp and that you will stir powerfully in their souls and in their hearts, even as they have much fun, God, they will be drawn to one another and to you. But now in this moment, God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear the truth you have for us in this passage, the word you have for us today. In your name we pray, amen. We are continuing uh, our summer sermon series today. We've called Poured Out, where we're, we're chasing, tracing, excuse me, the Spirit's movement throughout Acts for the coming weeks of summer. And, and we talked about Pentecost last week, this initial pouring out of the Spirit of God on creation that after Jesus ascended or right before he ascended, he told the, the, that early group of believers that wait here for God is gonna send a, promise to you and that you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And, and lo and behold, they waited and on this day of Pentecost that happened, the Holy Spirit came in power. And if you remember the two kind of lessons from last week, we're going to carry with us throughout the summer, just lessons on the Holy Spirit's movement are twofold. One, when the Holy Spirit came, it, it came in power beyond expectation the actual full power of God manifest in the spirit of God and was on the move. That's the first point, power and on the move. And two, it was immediately beyond human control. The disciples had no control over this spirit and and, and that it moved in surprising ways. And in the coming weeks, really in two and three and four weeks, we're gonna talk about more of those surprising ways. These couple of weeks, we're gonna talk more about the power and the move parts of this, but we need to kind of ingrain that in our imagination. When the spirit moves, the same is true today. It's often powerful beyond our expectation. The spirit is ahead of us on the move. The the spirit uh, is not under our control and works in surprising ways. And so it is up to us, like those early disciples, 
to look and listen for the Spirit's movement, for it is out ahead of us in the world. And when we hear it, when we see it, when we sense it, to do our dead level best to catch up to where the Spirit is and join the Spirit there. Over the coming weeks, we'll be looking at many stories of people in Acts, these people who will be called church, the things that they do that we come to associate the word church, the word ecclesia, to their actions, but, but Peter and Paul being the main two. But for all of the people, what we can't forget in this story of Acts is that the protagonist of Acts is the Holy Spirit. The people are involved, but the one driving the story, the one controlling the narrative and moving the whole thing forward, guiding it from beginning to end, is the Holy Spirit. As I said last week, you, you could say this is the gospel of the Holy Spirit that is in line with the gospel of Jesus carrying that forward. The big, so it's easy when we read Acts 2 or just any part of scripture. You know, you just kind of, all right, today Acts 2 is on my, my reading list and I'm just gonna kind of make my way through it. And oh, Pentecost, that's fantastic. And they add 3,000 and the church is created. Man, okay, good, let's move on to Acts 3. Without taking some pauses between those paragraph or section breaks to think about what it would have been like. So we have at the end of 41, the end of our story last week, this really big word, so. What we're gonna trace this week are the effects of Pentecost, the effects of the Holy Spirit. And so we have the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. We have uh, Peter's mediocre sermon in my estimation but it cut to the heart of the people of God so, or for so, oh, I got too fast. They ask, what shall we do? Peter says, quick on the uptake, Peter, a different Peter than we see in the gospels. I know what to do, be baptized, and the Holy Spirit was yours as well. And then we have the very big so. You ever been lecturing your kids and you're kind of making your point and they're really waiting for you to get to the so? All right, what's the punishment, dad, right? What are the effects of this lecture? So, the effects. 3,000 were added to their number that day. And then we have a little paragraph break in most of our copies of scripture. I really wonder what they thought was going to happen next. I mean, the question many of them had to be asking was, okay, that was amazing. Now what? What do we do now? What does this look like now? It's the question we bring to the text as now, uh, to the text as well. What was gonna happen to all these people? You got 3,000, 3,012, 3,200. I mean, who knows exactly what that number is? But now that the Holy Spirit had come, what was the Holy Spirit going to do with them? What, what was Peter and the rest of the apostles supposed to do with them after the baptism? They had experienced a creation altering, reality shifting event, an encounter with the living God in spirit form. Peter showed remarkable understanding in his sermon and his application. He understood this gift was for everyone, was to be offered freely in the name of Jesus. But what happens after that? Was the Spirit going to continue in that level of power? 
Was it going to continue to spread around the world? Had it already spread around the world? Was this happening all over the place? How were they supposed to live? Were they a new group? Were they a new religion? Were they a new subset of Judaism? What what did it mean for their previous faith now that they followed Jesus as Messiah? How were they to worship? What were they supposed to do? Did they still keep their jobs? Did they still keep their family relationships? Remember, these are people with all sort of um, languages. They're in for this festival from all over the world. Are they supposed to hang out in Jerusalem? Are they supposed to go back home? If they go back home, what in the world are they supposed to do? They might have been the only one from, from one of these countries, one of these places that knew this Jesus. Or if they were to live as they were Though they had been changed, how were they to do that? This early group of 3,000 plus was as disparate a group, as different a group as could be imagined in the empire. They're bounded, bonded together through an encounter with the Holy Spirit, but speaking different languages from different places, probably from different socioeconomic classes. How could they possibly hold together? Luke doesn't give us all the details of this. Like with most of scripture, they're interested in telling a very particular story and they're not interested in all of the details, all of the questions we may have from our vantage point so much later. But Luke, the writer of Acts, does give us a pretty solid glimpse at the content of the early life of this group of believers. The Holy Spirit, the very power of God, poured out in creation and continued to stir in miraculous ways in their midst to work the miraculous. We can trace, as I said, the movement of the Spirit, the effects of the Spirit through a couple words, through the first so, and then a cascading series of ands. At least in most of our versions, in the ESVs, what I'm reading, it's and, 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 five ands that drive this verse 42 through 47 that we're going to. So 3,000 were added to their number and our first glimpse of what the life was like for this early church, this group that would be called church and They devoted themselves, if you have your scripture in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Y'all, we're really good at complicating church, right? It's one of the gifts of the Western church. We make church really complicated, right? We build sanctuaries. We, we add staff. We have bylaws. Oh, Trinity, do we have bylaws? And we've got personnel policies and we've got teams and policies. And right, Julie, we have all of these things. And we, we complicate it in order that it might go well, in order that we, in hope that we might be good stewards of the resources are here, in hopes that we will further the kingdom of God. But, but sometimes we can get in the way of the Spirit's movement. Sometimes we can overcomplicate things. I think there's always a drive in the church to get back to the simple. Like if we needed to reduce church down to its irreducible, to, to its essence, to the simplest version of, of what church is, 
we may go to verse 42, Acts 2, 42. I mean, what, what is the minimum, not the minimum amount, but the minimum things, like pair off all the excess, what would we need to do to be church? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What was that teaching? Well, the people that had been with Jesus, we think, told the stories of Jesus. None of this was written down. They told the stories of Jesus to these people that, that may have known part, but certainly not all. They, they connected the person in the story of Jesus to, to David and to Abraham and to the prophets and to the whole story of God's movement through the Old Testament. They parsed over the parables and they probably compared notes and they talked about among themselves, what does this mean and how are we to live? The, the apostles who were the experts for they had been the eyewitnesses shared the stories with the people. And you can imagine if you have just been changed by the Spirit as they had, you soaked these stories up for they were new. And they were revelatory and undoubtedly the Holy Spirit continued to stir and enliven them. They prayed. We see a little later in verse 46, I think that they continued to go to the temple. They continued to pray for, for many, many, for a long time. The followers of the way, this first Christian group, as they were called, followers of the way, they see themselves as a subset of Judaism. They don't see themselves as a whole separate religion. They see themselves fulfilling Judaism as the Messiah has come. And so they went to the temple uh, where there were prayers three times a day. They enter into to their times of prayer like they always had three times a day, but now those prayers were with the Spirit and it was in the time of prayer where they, they listened and they heard and they watched for the Spirit's movement where their hearts were shaped and their lives were formed to be prepared for what the Spirit was gonna call them to do in time. They, they taught and they listened and they prayed and they broke bread with one another. This probably has two meanings, but I think mainly one. It, it, this phrase came to be associated with Lord's Supper, but when you really translate it throughout New Testament, it really just means they ate together. What do you do with people you like? What do you do with people you love? What do you do with your family? Well, you eat together. You fix a meal, you, you break bread, you sit down at the table, the kids and the parents and the grandparents and the crazy uncles and the cousins alike, and you may not agree on much, but you sit around the table as you're able and you share your stories and you tell the family stories and you learn the family history and, and, and the kids get to talk a little bit and learn and speak and the family becomes family at the table. Over years and years of being at the table together, so the church becomes the church often at the table. Yes, the Lord's Supper table, which we will celebrate together next week. Yes, there. But also at your kitchen tables. And also at La Fonda on Main. And also wherever you eat church, uh, you know, eat lunch after church and in your homes, wherever we gather around the table, we learn things about one another. Affection is gained for one another that we, we can't just get sitting here in rows looking at me. We need that time together to love each other, to like each other, <laughs> to get to know one another. And what was created in their midst, so, so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They prayed, they, they broke bread together, and what was created in their midst is fellowship. 
this great Greek word that the church has adopted, koinonia, fellowship. It wasn't just that they fellowshiped. It wasn't just that they had a potluck together and got together in the fellowship hall. It might have been something like that, but it was more. Fellowship was like an entity. It was like something other than them created among them. The phrase, the word has connotations of of the mutuality shared in marriage. I mean, your marriage is something else, isn't it? I mean, when you get married and you settle into it, it's something other than the two of you. It's more than the two of you. Your marriage is something else. I mean, there is no Matt without Kelly. Matt and Kelly are a pair. They go together. We are a thing. Koinonia was shared among them through the love, through the prayer, through their time together as an entity of mutuality, of love, of respect. It's more than just like brotherly, sisterly affection. There was sacrifice to this. We'll see here in a minute in in the cascading ands. We have four more ands to get through. That that the church, the koinonia, the fellowship was there for one another. They gave to one another. Everything else, or some say, that this, this koinonia, is really the miracle of Pentecost. That the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, took this wide-ranging far differing groups of people from across the empire, many of them, speaking different languages from different backgrounds, men and women, rich and poor, everything else, and formed them together in this group of mutual care and affection that would set the Roman Empire on fire. That's the miracle. It's the miracle that continues today. Friends, why was that group not scattered to the wind? Everything about that group says they should have had a fun experience and then scattered to the wind. Why has this church not been scattered to the wind? We've been through some stuff. (laughs) We've been through some stuff. There's been some challenges here. There's challenges to the church in the world. Why is it still here? Why has it not been scattered to the wind? Because the Holy Spirit is on the move. And the Holy Spirit is at work and koinonia has been created. Fellowship, mutuality, love, affection, a mutual willingness to sacrifice and live for one another. And that sticks. It sticks when everything else around it says it should be scattered to the wind. Friends, I think that everything else that the church may be called to do flows from these few essentials. The church gathers to teach. The church gathers to hear. The church gathers to hear and encounter the word of God. The church gathers to pray. The church gathers to to table together. The church gathers to fellowship together. Koinonia is created among us. It's formed in our midst. Everything then flows from this evangelism and missions and and issues and, and ministries of justice and serving our neighbor and buildings and administration and everything that the church is all are the outflow of these absolutely necessary components. These first effects of the spirits coming into our midst. Remember, 
The Spirit comes and it is powerful and on the move. The Spirit comes and it is beyond our control and working in surprising ways. So because of that, we gather together to do these things, to practice these four so that we might be equipped to see and hear the Spirit's moving and do our best to keep up in the world. The ands continue, these cascading ands of the effects of the Holy Spirit. And, verse 43, awe came upon them at the wonders and signs being done by the apostles. This sounds like the ministry of Jesus, doesn't it? I think the disciples must have been astounded. Maybe it's just me. I think they must have been astounded to find themselves doing what Jesus did without Jesus there behind them. Signs and wonders, miracles and healings being performed without Jesus there, such as the power of the Holy Spirit and awe came upon them. The Spirit continued to be at work. Verse 44 and 45, they held all things in common selling their possession and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need, an effect of the Spirit. Now, there's precedence for this in many places in history, but there was one contemporary to this. There was a group called the Essenes that that had gathered together kind of a, a monastic Jewish community and to join the Essenes, they lived out in the desert. You, you had to sell all of your possessions and give them to the community. And it was a requirement for entry into this community. That's one thing. That's one thing, to require it. This is something very different. It doesn't say that they sold everything and held it in a common pot. It says that, as you kind of get into it, they saw what they had as common for everybody. And as there was need, differing ones of them sold what they could sell to meet the needs of others. As we see throughout the rest of the the New Testament, they don't all sell everything. They don't all take a vow of poverty. They continue to hold things, but it transforms, the Spirit of God transforms how they see what they have. What they claim to have is no longer for their own benefit or no longer for their enjoyment or or for their upward rise in the world. All of a sudden, through the power of the Spirit, through the power of prayer, through the power of teaching, through the power of fellowship and breaking bread together, what I have is transformed to be seen for how it can be used for others how it can be used to bless my brother, to bless my sister who does not have what I have. It transformed our conception of stuff as not for us, but for the sake of the kingdom of God. And most fantastically, it's all spontaneous and voluntary. (laughs) Peter's not up there saying, all right, Debbie, you need to sell this. Rob, you need to get rid of that because, you know, they have this need over here. It seems spontaneous and voluntary, out of love, out of the rise, arises up out of this koinonia fellowship. Verse 47, 46. And they continued to visit the temple 
and breaking bread in homes, receiving their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. They continued their Judaism. They continued their, their trips to the temple. They continued their habits of faith, now infused with the Spirit of God, now infused with this belief in Jesus. And they came home and they ate together. And, and the result of that was glad and generous hearts, praising God together. Verse 47, finally, and... The Lord added to their number every day those who were being saved. There are some that would make this the model of the church and would say that anything we add on to this is a man-made addition. I don't think Luke is writing a prescription here. I think he's giving us a glimpse of their life from which we can draw some things. I don't think this is the only way to do it. I do think it's the essentials. There are others that go the other extreme and say, ah, and they scoff and they say, this was an emotional reaction to the Holy Spirit. This is impractical. It doesn't work today. You know, how would you get a 501c3 and get your tax breaks if you did this? You know, did they get, did they get their tax breaks for giving when they gave their stuff? How did they, you know, they, they, they nitpick this to death. And I think the fault there is a lack of conviction, a lack of trust, a lack of faith in the power of resurrection, a lack of trust and confidence in the name of Jesus, a lack of faith in the power of the Holy Spirit set loose and at work in the world. Friends, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, this same Spirit is at work in the same ways in the world today. I don't think if you pulled those across the Roman Empire on this day, this work would have been near as clear, even in Jerusalem, as it is for us reading it. It would have been muddled and it would have been mixed and there would have been any number of people that wanted to discredit it and, and, and explain it away and everything else. And just the same today, we have a tendency to want to explain away the miraculous, to not look for these things at work in this world. But yet the Spirit still moves in these ways all around us. We could have whole days of telling stories from around the globe of how the Spirit heals and how the Spirit works and how the Spirit moves in these ways. Just this spring, y'all, up at Asbury College in Kentucky, they went to church, they went to chapel on just a regular Christian chapel day. And if any of you went to Christian colleges, chapels are generally not church. <laughs> They're generally not the most exciting spirit-filled days. Most of you just have to be there, you know? And it's generally some bald pastor, you know, in middle age coming to preach and tell you what he wished he would have known when he was in your shoes, you know, and you've, you've heard it before. The pastor that day said, I really thought I'd preached a dud. I really thought I preached and did not connect with the audience. And yet at the end, students came down to pray and they didn't stop praying for weeks and weeks and weeks. The spirit is in power here and the spirit is at work out ahead of us. Yet there also does seem times in our world where the spirit comes in, in extra doses. 
There's a special anointing or a little extra pouring out of the Spirit, and we have kind of trouble understanding this sometimes. A special anointing was on this place. There were no leaders. There were very few full-fledged adults. They were all this new category of emerging adult. We're still figuring out what that means. There was no one in charge. There was no plan for it. These kids, students, just started praying and the Spirit of God poured himself, poured itself out, and they prayed all night. And they prayed all the next day. And a few people got up and led some worship spontaneously. And from what I've been told, a few people stood up and offered words of teaching or encouragement or words, images they had heard in prayer. And they continued to start praying. And through this, this mixed gift of social media, words started to spread. And, and people started to send food. And people started to spend water. And people started traveling to this tiny town of Asbury, Kentucky from around the country and the people of Asbury started opening their homes to them. And this one student who was a little older than the rest and had been in the army started organizing everything. But mostly what she did was organize an army to pray. Who should lead? Who should pray? How do we get food? How do we just don't make decisions, just pray that the, the, th the needs will be met. And, and over weeks and weeks, thousands and thousands of people from around the country flooded into Asbury, all in this spontaneous, disorganized, yet somehow non-chaotic movement of the Spirit of God. And it spread across campuses around the nation at Baylor and at A&M and even in our own state, this was happening. Similar um, outpourings of the Spirit among college students started popping up, and y'all, it looked a lot like this. The stories are amazing of walking into the room thinking you had been there 10 minutes and you walk out and, and look at your watch and realize hours had passed of when they ran out of water, somehow a whole truckload of water from Texas or from Kansas or someone else showed up to bless the people. Worship leaders and preachers and others, not well-known, but students, showed up to offer what they had and were incorporated in. We don't know where that will end. They finally ended it after a month or two. But y'all, we don't know where that will end. The thousands of lives that were changed, the young people that have a calling on their lives that didn't before, and how this will end in our world and our country today. If you have eyes to see and ears to hear, the Spirit still moves in these ways all around us. It doesn't always look like Asbury. Friends, it happens every week in this church. One of the pastor's prerogatives is you see the best in the church. And sometimes you see the worst in the church, but mostly you see the best in the church. You have the people that come to you and say, no one can know about this but I know these people have needs. This person has need. There's a way I want to bless this person or that person. And you get to be the conduit between these connections. How many of you are here? Because someone in the church, maybe not this church, but in the church, bless your life. Spoke a word of love and encouragement prayed for you until the Spirit of God got hold of you, blessed you in some way that was the impetus for the Spirit's movement in your life. How many are here have some loved one you feel was healed by the Spirit of God? 
and is here today somewhat become of medicine, but most because the spirit of God was poured out and God's people prayed. How many of you were here who at once were far from God and yet are here today among the people of God? We could go on. The spirit of God continues to move. This is not an ideal setup that we can never reach. It is a reality in which we live every day of our lives. So if you are a part of this, in conclusion, if you are a part of this koinonia, this particular koinonia created here in this place, and you feel like you're in the middle of it, when I explain that mutual affection for your church brothers and sisters, you understand what I'm talking about, then be thankful for it. Go to Sunday school and and exit these pews today with a deeper affection and love in your heart for thankfulness, for being a part of such a body that you would give and sacrifice for and that would do the same for you. And be aware that our fellowship is not for its own sake. We fellowship, we're a part of this together so that the Spirit will send us out into the world. We create this among our midst. We strive to to the Spirit's power so that we will go out into the world and the Spirit will launch us to encounter others. Because among such people, the Holy Spirit will move. The Holy Spirit will send us into the world. It will scatter us around the globe for a week, for two, for a life, who knows? The Spirit will call us to create a just and a whole world wherever we are. The Spirit will encounter, will create encounters for us every week with people who are lonely and people who are hurting, people who are far from God that need a word from God. They need the love and forgiveness and grace that we can offer in the name of God. The Spirit does this. Be aware. Be aware and be ready to serve. And if you were here and something in your heart, something in your soul, something in your mind helps you know either you're visiting, right, today, and that's great, we're glad you're here, or maybe you've been coming and you feel kind of on the fringe of this. All right, I'm here, but I don't really feel that, you know, I'm in that fellowship that's sort of being described. What's holding you back? I mean, dive in, visit a Sunday school class, come to one of our midweek things, make an appointment with one of your pastors and and get to know us, let us get to know you. We would love nothing more than that. You don't have to have life figured out. You don't have to feel like a church person. There's no qualifications for this, but join in the life of fellowship. Somehow in our world, we have a tendency to reduce church membership to worship attendance. And that if we're attending worship, we're kind of a part of things. And don't get me wrong, I, if you're here in worship today, I'm so glad you were here. I mean, that's amazing. We want, this is part of it. This is a big part of it, but it's not all of it. We worship. We study scripture together. We we get to know one another. We, we serve other people. We allow ourselves to be served by the fellowship. We live life with one another for some time so that this fellowship is created. Y'all, we would love nothing more. If you feel on the fringe of this fellowship, 
to join in fully and be a part of this with us in the years to come. The Spirit of God is on the move and it's powerful beyond expectation. And it's beyond our control and moving in surprising ways. Friends, I hope you'll join me in this fun journey of watching and listening and doing our dead level best to join the Spirit where he is at work. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for the gift of your Spirit without which we would not be here. The Spirit's movement is long in each of our lives, working in and around us before we even knew the Spirit's name. Father, help us to listen to whatever it is your Spirit may be teaching us, calling to us, beckoning to us today. In your name we pray. We hope you enjoyed your segment of the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with senior pastor Matt Homeyer. Join us next week for another segment. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org.